Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Crypto Hipster Podcast. This is your host, Emil Hassan, the Crypto Hipster, where I bring you founders, entrepreneurs, executives, founders, thought leaders, artists, musicians, you name it, all over the world in crypto and blockchain. And today, I have an amazing guest. He is coming to me from Vancouver, where it's warm and sunny, and uh, his name is Rick Porter. He is the CEO and founder of Discover. Welcome, Rick. Hey, thanks for having me. Super excited to be here and uh, give some insights into Web3 social media. I'm happy to have you, and maybe I can learn a few things that will help me build my presence too. But um, let's uh, let's ask you first about this. What is your background, and is it a logical background of what you're doing now? Yeah, you know, um, my background is, is I started off as an engineer uh, right out of college. Um, my first client, uh, was at Accenture when I was at Accenture it was actually MySpace through FIM. Um, so that kind of dates me right there actually. But, uh, while at MySpace, uh, I worked on like a lot of the video encoding frameworks, you know, we're, this is even dating me even further. This is like at the point of time when we are actually, you know, how do you actually get live video? How do you get something like YouTube on MySpace? And so we were working with a bunch of, uh, different services to import, uh, video onto MySpace. And uh, I was there for a while, worked on a lot of different projects, uh, and eventually got into email marketing, uh, started an email marketing company, um, and got acquired pretty quickly. Uh, so I started working in more venture, like focusing on like building and breaking my own kind of studio. Uh, but I got acquired by uh, Boston Consulting Group's Digital Ventures. And uh, while there, I was at, um, I got a client called State Street, an institutional bank which is like, why, what does that have anything to do with social media? And, you know, at BCG, our whole thing was, is we pick, pick, uh, pitch ventures to these uh, Fortune 500 companies. And while I was there, we, we were pitching the idea to State Street that you could build AI for your CRO. So your chief risk officer could be powered by AI. But like what? Like how would that actually look in the end? And we were working with huge uh, graph databases at the time we were ingesting the world of news. And the whole idea was how do you find that needle in the haystack within the news? So there was always this concept of like Volkswagen and their emission tests. And, um, you know, apparently a report came out six months before everyone really found out in a small town. So how would you find that news before it actually hit mainstream uh, mainstream news. So we started building these graph databases that would traverse the world of news and cross-reference it with your portfolio. But at the end of the day, what did it look like to the CRO? And <clears throat> I actually kind of looked like Reddit. So at the end of the day, the CRO would get this uh, spreadsheet um, and it would just be a list of all the news relative to their portfolios. And that was the first time I, I really built like something like a search engine that would traverse information to display to an end user. And at the end, that's kind of like a, a social network in some, in some aspects, it's a newsfeed. So after this, after BCG, uh, well at BCG, I got into blockchain and then I just started marrying the two concepts of like, how do you actually uh, build highly scalable technology, but how do you marry it with um, decentralized technology? And this is 2017 um, and you know, everyone was hyped up on Ethereum at the time. I mean, Ethereum is still super popular, but like we started exploring different projects. Like how much can we, how feasible is 
uh, putting entire enterprise applications on top of uh, the Ethereum blockchain. And in 2017, everyone was very exploratory. Everyone was working with smart contracts to kind of figure out what, what kind of enterprise level or grade smart contracts can you create? And so my client was a company called De Beers and De Beers is a diamond company and they wanted to trace all their diamonds on the, uh, the Ethereum blockchain. So <clears throat> I moved my team to London and we were tracing diamonds from that time they left the, the mines in Botswana uh, to the time they hit the um, cutters and polishers on various parts of the world and to the time they hit the markets within Antwerp or in London. And we were able to trace that diamond all the way <clears throat> using the blockchain, right? Using uh, an ensemble of uh, Ethereum smart contracts and something, a technology called Intel SGX, which is like the superior secure compute enclaves. So information is processed within complete privacy. Um, but like we kept hitting these hurdles where it's like the classic hurdle, like how much information can you actually store on chain, right? This is like a complete supply chain that we were trying to create a traceability around. And this is when I actually got in contact with like Dominic Williams from Internet Computer. Um, and they were building something that could feasibly do this on chain. And so I spent many years within blockchain uh, trying to build enterprise applications and building some enterprise applications. Uh, I ended up going to Google for a bit. And while at Google, I was like, you know, I just can't stop thinking about like all the technology I spent, all that time I spent building on uh, decentralized protocols. And uh, I started designing a social network. Um, and it was the, the whole concept was, is like, what would Reddit look like? It, it wasn't the idea of like, hey, I'm gonna go build a whole social network. It was just like, can we feasibly put something like a message board on completely on blockchain? And of course, you know, come up with that super MVP. MVP was terrible, but that came up with that super MVP, <clears throat> uh, launched it and people just started using it. Like people started posting, it's out of curiosity. Like, what would this feel like? What is this, what do the interactions feel like? And sometimes I think the current form is discover is really just a million bug fixes from that original MVP to what it is now, where it's like people are like, hey, this is broken. Okay, we'll fix it. You know, I, I want uh, I want to have this feature. Okay, let's add that feature. I'm facing these problems. Okay, let's see how we can fix that. Uh, and over time, discover is what it is now. We're over 195,000 users. Um, you know. 10,000 daily active users and millions of posts and comments and upvotes. And so it's been a, a pretty interesting period, but like now we were way more social fi than we originally launched, you know, we've got the airdrops and things like that, uh, NFT gating and such. But, you know, all that time I spent building decentralized technology and experimenting with social platforms has led me to the moment of creating Discover. And I think it's been uh, it's been a very interesting journey. I checked out the platform a little bit, and there was a huge mix. There was some conversations about gaming and, and DeFi, and there were also conversations about March Madness. So, um, you know, I wanted to find out what have been some of the successes that you've recognized and realized from all your hard work and what you've learned along the way. Yeah, you know, we went into this without a lot of opinions on how the users would engage with the platform. And we've kind of just followed 
taking the user's lead on like where what are the things that they want to engage with you know early days it was very much like nft projects looking for some sort of proof of humanity or some sort of identities we have a social network and we're able to run analytics on the platform to determine you know who the real users are and how are they engaging and who are the most engaged users so those are uh, users who would receive airdrops and these are mostly collections dropping a percent of their collection to try to get some liquidity and get some users to hold their their, their nft and get some recognition for it so you started seeing communities build around these collections um, and lots of airdrops have happened since like i can't even count 50 to 100 at this point and the whole system's automated now we don't even know that when the airdrops are happening it just sometimes I, I log in and i'm like oh someone's talking about an airdrop that's happened on discover that's the beauty of blockchain you know it's they're open databases that's one way to look at it so anybody can drop to anybody on the platform <clears throat> and you have a wallet which is uh on the you like your your user is a wallet so they just drop it to the user and the user automatically gets these nfts but um you start seeing small communities form uh over time where people are like you know investigating nft collections and whether they're rug pulls or not and you see these communities start forming um and then you start seeing things like the march madness community where they're you know, they're just really enthusiastic about what is happening and they're putting brackets together and kind of collaborating. Um, so you're starting to see a wider range. And then Web3 Gaming uh, or GameFi, all the different words that you could define it, you know, that's huge with inside of the community. And it's just become a point of, hey, I'm working on this project. I want to get some sort of recognition for it. And really social media is distribution at the end of the day. So they're seeking distribution for uh their project getting some eyeballs to it so we're seeing a lot more projects who are like hey i want to i want to notify a community i want to build a community around my project and continue to curate it so i can have that point of uh contact with them through something that's purely web3 and, and there's a lot of alternatives right you, you you've got discord telegram uh but people who are seeking really native web3 environments where they're, the user they're interacting with is already a wallet, right? The, every user is just literally a wallet. So why don't you just uh, port them into your game through um, a decentralized social platform like Discover? That's great. I don't want to talk too much about the March Madness because I've been doing <laughs> pools uh, since 1985 and I've never gotten the winner. So, <laughs> you know, uh, I'm in a really bad losing streak. But let's uh, let's talk about you know why it's important to give social media control, right? Uh, back to the user instead of you know living in the surveillance state of TikTok or Instagram or the profit state of Google on YouTube. Yeah, it's um, I mean it's really ownership is one way to look at it too. Like when you're developing creating content for social media platforms. It's like, who is the owner of that content? And most likely by the time you've signed up for TikTok uh, or Instagram, you've clicked some sort of end user license agreement to give all the content that you've uploaded to the platform itself. <clears throat> and, you know, is that really that great for the creators? I mean, the trade-off is distribution, right? Like right now that game is, is they can get millions of eyeballs on your content right away. And 
I think for decentralized social, it's like, well, let's let's kind of flip the script and push this forward where if I'm creating content, it's owned by my public and private key, which is owned by my user, which is owned, well, which is owned by me and controlled by my by me. And then I have the decision of what that content does. And I have the decision where I can take that content. And I think very future thinking, um, you know, it all comes down to like the social graph. Like if all the social networks and all the decentralized social networks were connected through some sort of fabric, um, and how would they use that social fabric to uh, move their content between platforms? So if I disagree with the direction of a platform, I can move my content to a different platform and see what kind of impact or changes that platform has made. And that's where you can kind of vote with your content. Like I'm driving a decision because I'm no longer using this platform and it's very mobile approach. You know, it gives a lot of mobility um, to the content that you create. And that's just something the platforms don't necessarily have right now. And there's a lot of arguments on, well, the medium is different and things like that, but I don't subscribe to that too much. As you can see, a lot of the platforms inherit a lot of the uh, similar mediums. You know, TikTok releases their uh, technology for videos and they have that scrolling feed. And then you instantly see other platforms try to try to inherit and uh, try to market that style of creating content. So you're, you're going to see, I think in the future of social media, you want mobility within your content so you can vote with where you store your content. And I think that's kind of a, I mean, that is absolutely a paradigm shift, but like, how do you move your users? How do you move your content? What will that, who will store that so, uh, global social graph? Will it be a, a fragmented social graph that it's a little more complex to move between, but over time will get easier. And I think in these early days of Web3 social media, a lot of our the platforms like Discover are still getting their footing and trying to decide um, how, do, how do users want to interact with the platform. But I do think we are all headed towards the same direction. You know, we're also headed to that direction of building a highly mobile uh, uh, schema so that we can transfer uh, content and our creations between these platforms. Yeah. I, that sounds good to me. You know, I, I don't put content on YouTube because I don't want to create it there because then Google would own it. Right. Um, so my concern is that for somebody like me who has a concern of just handing my, my content over to someone, you know, um, why, you know, the same, your platform seems like a pretty good alternative. So how do you see? How do I see? Yeah, I think like it's an interesting equation or an interesting problem, right? Like with YouTube, they've got years of data science and machine learning to help your content get the distribution it needs. It's they have uh, hundreds of probably spent hundreds of millions of dollars on uh, systems to be able to to recommend you the right videos and content to help your uh, content get the most amount of distribution, right? So it's like Web3 social media needs to come up with alternatives to how do they compete with these massive machine learning models to help actually uh, target or pair users with your content. Because at the end of the day, like we find a lot of, there's a lot of issues with recommendation engines and 
for us, for at Discover, you know, we've been working on our own social graphs, our own recommendation engines. But I think once we open up a lot of that data, right, you'll users will be able to develop their own algorithms to help laser, uh, pinpoint those. But for like a content creator who's trying to find an alternative to YouTube, I think like it's good to experiment with these Web3 social media platforms to see what kind of new audiences you unlock. There's, I mean, if you imagine the Venn diagram between users and all social media platforms, right? There's for sure crossovers, right? And the Venn diagram will be the infinity of social media platforms, but each one of these types of social media platforms have different types of crossover. And I think this is just unlocking new types of audiences and new audiences for your content, which to me is going to be enticing to a user, a new content creator who's trying to get a new audience for their platform. And, and we've seen this repeatedly through history, right? Like a lot of the OG uh, um, Twitch streamers became who, like before Twitch streaming uh, for gaming, like what really, there weren't a lot of choices, but now they've started using the platform, engaging with something new, and they've grown these incredible audiences. Same thing with TikTok or any new social media platform. It's just a way, it's a new medium to unlock new audiences for your content. And I think we'll see a lot of Web3 social media and new types of Web3 social media influencers, which we're already seeing come out of the woodwork. Yeah, so, so that's interesting because you talk about unlocking potential and I'm sure there are current overall current macro trends, right. That are driving that potential. What are those in addition to unlocking, what are, what are some of the additional macro trends in social media and decentralized social? Yeah. You know, um, so high level it's NFT collections, but like how do they actually get to those NFT collections is a really interesting, uh, path you know from a discover strictly from a discover perspective right we see people who come onto the platform they want to engage with the users their whole intention is not to launch an nft collection uh their whole intention is really not to tokenize themselves their intention is to engage with the platform and engage with the users and create content that they like and to I me, mean, I really like this organic approach. I mean, there's without a doubt, there's people who come to the platform like, hey, I'm going to launch an NFT collection and here is my collection. Well, uh, are you guys interested in it? Let me create a community around it and grow it. But to me, the really interesting trend is that that really organic user who comes to the platform with the intention of creating content. Well, over time, they're creating their own uh, UGC, uh, user generated content that's unique and over time and through many posts and uh, comments, they've created enough content to actually launch their own NFT collection based off that content. And so they're, they have a certain style to how they actually present themselves and a style to the types of posts that they're creating, which let's say they're memes or technical articles, right? Um, and so then they create a collection that kind of uh, resembles the content that they've been creating. So if they've been creating memes, maybe the NFT collection they've been creating is, you know, uh, fun, exciting, you know, uh, full of memes, uh, jokes, puns, I don't know, like uh, maybe taking a jab uh, at Web3 social media itself or even Web3 itself. Um, but we've also seen the flip side where people have been creating um, like a detectives group and it was called ICP Detectives. And over time, they were just investigating rug pulls, you know, and, and really analyzing wallets. 
But then that actually turned into, so this intention was just organic. It wasn't, I'm going to go launch an NFT collection. I'm going to go do this. The whole intention was to uh, uh, do something exciting for the community. But when the, but as this group grew, they started developing types of technology around it. Well, they need to fund the development of this. So like, how do they pair a Web3 social media platform with the development of this technology to help investigate these red pools? And they ended up launching an NFT collection that would be a pass to uh, use the technology itself. And the NFT collection was technical. It had a uh, very cool visual effects and it really resembled the dashboard that they were building to investigate these collections or investigate uh, uh, transactions on the blockchain. So it's like there's and there's many types of approaches like this, but there's just not one, no one size fits all. But it's but what's more important is a lot of these started off organically. You know, they started off with the intention of creating value within the Web3 social media platform before trading, trying to create value for themselves through an NFT collection. Do you know what lessons they learned about the exploring the rug pulls that people can, you know, uh, use as a guide? <laughs> what, wait, what was that? I said, do you know what the results were of what they discovered oh. with the rug pulls research so that people can use that as a guide? Yeah, um, you know, it was actually pretty interesting. They, I mean, they were able to identify like circular trading or wash trading, right? Um, they were able to identify like market manipulations. Um, they were able to identify people who are like st stacking up uh, collections under, a, you know, uh, a bunch of sock puppet accounts. And um, they were able to inform the community early about these things happening before anybody actually uh, got hurt, which is like, uh super important but like as this technology grows like now that they have and everyone on my protocol like very well aware of them very finds them very valuable is always checking out the dashboard but as as time progresses and as they get more users as they create more value the technology will only get better and i like you could argue in a couple of years from now from that like very origin story of trying to create something organic and real they've created an entire organization around this concept and like to me that like that in itself is a success of web3 social media right there right it's it's very organic it's very real and now it's actually providing real value protecting the users now will the plot can their tool you know uh, uh analyze themselves you know it's <laughs> a good question i don't know I remember last year I did this manually. I won't name names of projects on OpenSea, but I saw like there was a bid for like one ETH, then the next bid was two, then it jumped to 40, then it jumped to 100, and I looked at the 40 and the 100, and they were like bots. So, you know, <laughs> that was, you know, computerized watch trading to some, some great degree, right? So, um, yeah, so I'm taking that construct, right, what people are learning and the role of social media and solving major problems. And the major problems we have in the US this week were some banks, <laughs> you know, Silicon Valley Bank, Silvergate. Uh, there's another, another one, I forget the name off the top of my head, but um, how can decentralized social help solve those major problems you know, that are going on in, in the society and economy? Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, I think 
you know, for SVB specifically, um, whether Peter Thiel did the right thing of informing his uh, portfolio companies on the possibility of SVB uh, facing insolvency issues or whatnot, did he do the right thing? Did he kind of create contagion? Um, yeah, it's a it's an interesting question. And what was Twitter's role or the role of the uh, uh, of sharing that information and spreading that information? I mean, information needs to be shared. Uh, information needs to be broadcasted. Um, and then it really comes down to like fact checking, like authenticity of the information and uh verifying that the information is correct but like at the end of the day it's really hard to just mute somebody it's it's impossible to almost and i think web3 social media is a little bit more censorship resistant or a lot more censor resist uh censor resistant than uh traditional web2 social and that sounds uh, instantly sounds like a double-edged sword right there right um so I think what Web3 social media is probably going to allow is through the open and decentralized social graphs that users will be creating and platforms will be creating, that is also a double-edged sword because, because it's an open database and it's open information, you know, you'll have this piece of information sitting out there. Uh, what, how, what kind of impact could it make in the same situation as this SVB uh, or Silvergate situation, right? Like, well, now this information sits out there and anybody can pair to it. Maybe there'll be a lot of different insights that be, people will be able to correlate. So you'll have this piece of information out there and you'll be able to drill into it and then see all the different opinions of what people are actually saying. And I think this diversity within opinions and the resilience of the censorship with this information will give users more insight and be able to drive their own decision. And then they'll be within this, there'll be something like that ICP detectives who will be able to do investigations on this information and provide fact checking. And you see this parallel um, on Twitter, you know, you have the ability to provide fact checking, but I do believe with decentralized social media, you'll have a more agnostic approach where you'll be able to bring in lots more information um, and correlate it to that information stored in the social graph. And then users will be able to uh, retrieve and drill into this information without the barriers of whatever platform that they're sitting on top of, it'll be open. So therefore they can have a more diverse opinion on what is actually happening. But at the end of the day, it is sense more censorship resistant and you've got to look at it two ways and understand both of those ways. Yeah, I'm trying to think that, you know, back in May and June, my money's now stuck on Celsius, right? But it could have not been. I had noticed there were a few people, a few individuals who were going really, really, really hard after, you know, uh, Celsius and Mashinsky, like saying a lot of negative things. And they helped drive that run against them, the bank run, right? Yeah. How do you, how do you, can you use Web3 to segregate and, you know, track the um, the actions of malice on these platforms? They say, hey, you know, those conversations were deleted on Twitter, but hey, you know, on Web3, they're the blockchain, they're there forever. You know, how can you use that as a 
as a good, as a public good. Um, yeah. Damn, that's a, a really good question and a hugely debated topic. Um, so it's provenance, you know, the history of something. And how will Web3 social media treat provenance? And an example is, yeah, let's go to the Celsius. Someone tweets something um, and they were completely wrong, completely right. Doesn't matter. They decided to delete that information and then the history of that information is lost. In theory, someone could have like screenshotted it or shared it, uh, had some sort of record of it. But in reality, the the authentic piece, the unique piece that was created, the original comment was deleted and the history of it, therefore, is now fragmented and, and incomplete. You know, records are incomplete. So it's a big topic. Like, should everything in Web3 social media be permanent, right? Like, is that progression or is that regression, right? Are we progressing by making everything you say online permanent? And if you don't, who are you protecting? And it, so I actually was presented with this question within Discover itself. And, and an example someone was using in this argument was, well, when I was 14 or 13 years old and using the internet, I was an idiot. <laughs> so like, uh, and I think, I mean, a lot of us were, I definitely was, uh, but like, if I would have to live the rest of my life with the history of everything I've said, is that progression or is that regression? And do I have the right, and this is GDP, not a GDPR comment, but it sounds like one, do I have the right to be forgotten? Does my content have the right to be forgotten? So in this one situation, in the specific situation, who are we protecting, right? And who are they protecting? So in the Celsius, going back to the Celsius situation, was that person a public figure? You know, um, was that person giving substantial investment advice? Like, are they comfortable with having their history permanent, right? Um, and maybe that's just a different way of looking at social media where you, you possibly have types of users who have flagged themselves as being on public record when they're saying something and that becomes part of permanent record. And then maybe you have users who live in the anonymous, you know, and maybe, and like maybe, 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 but maybe this person who is living an anonymous life, their content is ranked differently from users or their content is, um, has different styles of fact checking. So it's like, there's gotta be this differential or this, this way of defining content that is part of permanent record and this and or that is not part of permanent record and then the users has to be that has to be transparent so if someone's not going on permanent record on making a statement then maybe that's a different uh maybe that information needs to be taken differently right they're not willing to live by that statement um but it's again like in web3 social media we present a lot of uh new paradigms to how social media will be constructed and how our social graphs will work but there's a lot of double-edged shorts to every angle that we take and we've got to figure out how do we dull out those sides i agree um lot to be discussed but there's also like I, I, one thing i love to do is i love to shit right? just fun you know it's part of being in the crypto community actually i consider it that way it but, is yeah, but there's 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 avenues and channels for the way that communication goes. Sometimes it's siloed. Actually, it's very siloed by topic. 
right? So the future of Web3, is it siloed, where you're talking into an echo chamber, or is it truly decentralized where everybody everywhere uh, can see it? Oh, wow, dude, you got the questions today. That's a really interesting one. Um, uh, this is something I've thought about like an in infinite. Um, and when I think about this, I always think about Facebook for some reason. Um, and Facebook was so good about giving us what we wanted. Um, I wasn't a big Facebook user for the past couple of years, but uh, it was really good at understanding what we wanted and serving us more content like that. And we ended up in these social bubbles where we just assumed that the world thought and acted as we did because it was the information that we were consuming. Um, now, like, was Facebook being a bad actor? I'm definitely not going to even touch that one. Uh, but like, were their algorithms bad actors? Yeah, that's a tough one too. But we're, <laughs> you know, like, it, it's a. We at the end of the day, we constructed. It gave us the dopamine kicks that we needed while we were browsing uh, Facebook at the end of the day. And it got really good at giving us exactly what we wanted and misinforming us on that information, right? Like, is it exactly what we wanted? Maybe not, but it, did it trigger a reaction for us to want to open the app again? Yes. Um, is it what we needed? No, <laughs> but like, uh, it's what happens. So it's like, it's a hugely interesting question. Um, and, and then with the open graph, how do you cure it? How do you find information? Like if anyone in the world can just dump information on uh, this decentralized global social graph, how do you find information that you want to actually engage with? So then we go back to algorithms. Well, then how do you create algorithms that are healthy? How do you create an algorithm that gives the opportunity for the user to leave their social graph right to leave their bubble and how do you designate that this is a healthy algorithm like how how do you get a peer review in place and i think we have a lot of first for discover specifically we are going to definitely take a stab right into that one um one of the the techniques that we're 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 going to approach this with is maybe you design your own algorithm. You know how maybe we give you a couple buttons, a couple sliders, and at the end of the day, how close to you do you want to be, or how far out do you want to be? And this is an example with like you see this in um, AI generative art, right? When you're using AI generative art, you're like, how close of the prompt do you want to be? Do you want to be right on the nose, or do you want to go fucking wild with it? Um, and I think that's the kind of approach that we might see with decentralized social media. That's the approach Discover wants to take is we want to see, and it'd be really interesting at the end of the day with people who choose to share their settings, not everyone has to share their settings, but like what gets the most engagement? Is it the people who are closest to the prompt or the people who are uh, halfway away from their prompt or people who have just gone out into uh, to Wonderland and trying to see what is all out there. But I do think it's like, we've got to allow the users to at least be able to open the door. And that's how I see it. Like we're, if you're in the bubble, maybe people want the bubble, maybe the bubble is super comfortable, but can we at least give them a door to leave their bubble, a way to be able to peer on the outside of what they're being uh, served. And I think that's going to be 
really interesting. It'd be really interesting to see who opens that door and who appears on the outside. But if you have no ability to look on the outside, then there is no looking on the outside. There is no window. You're just stuck in your environment. So much more to say about this. But yeah, it's uh, without a doubt a huge subject. It's like people need, they want to get the content. They want to read it. They don't want to click a lot of buttons. They want to open it up. It's got to be stupid simple. So how do you give them that ability to just simply browse the social graph without having them to do a ton of work? Because let's be real, who's got enough time to, to customize their own algorithm? How many people have the capabilities to customize their own algorithm? We want to load up TikTok and we want to scroll through our feed and let it serve us what we like. Um, and it's just the human condition, right? Uh, more to say, but yeah. I uh, I went on Facebook yesterday, and you know the first hundred posts, maybe not, maybe fifty. So we're not none of my friends' posts. They were all ads. I was like, where are my <laughs> friends at? You know. Um, so I'd love to see that cleaned up. That'd be great. <laughs> They're ads now. So, You're all your friends become ads. <laughs> All my friends are at marketing advertisements. Yep. So anyway, um, yeah, I want to thank you. Maybe I'll have you back to talk about the, that second part, you know, in detail. Um, but uh, thank you very much for your time today. I've enjoyed speaking with you and the time has flown. So um, I do have one final question and it's this. How can people find out more information about you, about Discover, about joining your platform, about getting involved in the community? How can they do any of that? Uh, no, first of all, great questions. Really enjoyed being here. Uh, like you definitely have done some research on Web3 social media, so it's great um, to hear these. And so if you want to learn about Discover, it's dscvr.one, so discover.one, no, uh, no vowels, check it out. Um, there's a bunch of readmes on the site, information that you consume, create a post, ask some questions. Users are really engaging. They have a lot of fun with it. Um, very welcoming to new users. And uh, there's a lot, there's a lot out there. So come on and join uh, um, and we'll hopefully open up the eyes of Web3 social media. The coolest part about Discover, it doesn't require a wallet to sign up. By the time you've actually signed up, it's giving you a wallet that you're in custody of and you may not need a seed phrase to recover it. So it's very simple, very easy way to get into Web3. Awesome. Thank you very much for your time today. Thank you.